Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so pleased you can join us in today's show. I am Michelle. And I am Mark, your host of this podcast, a show that was designed for you, the Awakening Empty Nester. In this series, we will be bringing you a whole range of inspiring insights, heart-filled stories and conversations with truly amazing people. People just like you. People who have navigated through their own challenges, lessons and opportunities. People who have transitioned to living a life of deeper experience, heart-filled contribution and consistent awakening and growth. Find out how they are all living with what we call a strong ECG life pulse. Let's discover more as we dive into this episode. Whether you're an empty nester or not, we trust you will enjoy today's show. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. We are so grateful for your time today and are really looking forward to this conversation. This session is being recorded in May 2020, a wonderful time in the world right now where we have an opportunity for reflection and to take time to remember who we are. Today, we are extremely excited to welcome Andrew Morello, affectionately known as Morello, who lives in Sydney, Australia. So Andrew Morello is an awarded entrepreneur, investor, author, and the winner of the very first Australian Apprentice. Prior to becoming head of business development at The Entourage, which is Australia's largest training institution for entrepreneurs and business owners, Morello spent 10 years alongside Mark Boris building out the Yellow Brick Road Wealth Management Branch Network nationally. Morello has personally built an impressive property portfolio, and has also led numerous community projects across Australia and internationally. This includes a founding board member of Project Gen Z, a social enterprise which runs entrepreneurs and development programs for disadvantaged children. In recent years, Morello has summited Mount Kinabalu in Borneo and completed the Kokoda Trail to raise money for Seed Foundation, which supports Indigenous health programs in remote communities. Morello is an active member of Australia's entrepreneurial and real estate communities, an engaging and charismatic speaker, and passionate about sharing his successes with other entrepreneurs, business owners, and investors to help them reach their full potential and not waste their precious life. On a personal note, I met Andrew in 2015 when I was coaching young people. Within 10 minutes of chatting with this wonderful man, he opened up his big heart and guided me to hosting a youth forum at which he offered to be a guest speaker. Andrew also generously featured as one of the real heroes of courage, passion and contribution in my first book, Ripples. To me, Andrew is bigger than life. He exudes positivity a depth of love and kindness that the world needs more of. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Michelle and Mark. Great to be here and great to see you guys flourishing and doing so well. I'm very proud of you both. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, buddy. It's great to see you again. It's been a couple of years since we connected. I'm really grateful to meet up with you again and have our discussion today. And I, I look forward to us 
actually getting a chance to do it in person sometime soon as well, getting back up, getting up to Queensland and visiting you guys. Definitely. You've got a place to stay here, by the way. <laughs> Fantastic. I'll hold you to that, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> it's on the podcast. We've got a lot of people listening. <laughs> correct. So, Andrew, I have through the book, through the chapter that I wrote in the book, I've known a little bit about your background, but our listeners don't know much about you. We've given them a picture of what you're doing right now. But how did it all start? Tell us a little bit about your background. Yep, started in a little place called Mooney Ponds in um, Victoria, Australia. So for those who are listening overseas, I know you've got a lot of friends and connections globally as well. So for those of you who don't know Mooney Ponds, it's famous for three things. The number one thing it's famous for is Dame Edna Everidge, which is the character. Um, comes from Mooney Ponds and Barry Humphreys, who, who plays it, who, who's actually phenomenally large in Hollywood now, ironically. Oh, so right. I think he's, he's finally, finally at, at 60, 60 plus years old, he, he found his market and, and he's done very well over there, Barry Humphreys, with the character Damien Neverich from Mooney Ponds. The second thing it's famous for is the Mooney Valley Racecourse, so the second biggest horse racing event in the country. Uh, and Flemington Racecourse is literally 900 metres up the road. So there's a lot of sort of gambling that goes along there along there as well. And then the last thing is a, a series called Underbelly Series 1, which featured Australia's sort of underworld um, and, and mafia effectively. The good news is I survived. I live in Sydney now in Mokluse. So uh, I, uh, I, I still frequent Mooney Ponds and my family is still down there. But it was a great place for me to, to earn my stripes. And I, I wasn't academically educated but rather you know Mark Burris probably put it succinctly when I was on The Apprentice um, many years ago where he said you got a degree you've got a master's you've got a doctorate on the back streets of Mooney Ponds and mm. and when he said that I sort of had a you know a bit of bit of a tear in my eye because I think a lot of the things I learned and the the foundational values the core vision mission and values that I've carried through my life come from uh, working at my dad's service station at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 to 9 months old um, and it's where I started my first business when I was 14, 15 with a government grant to run alcohol and drug-free events uh, in the youth space. And that sort of set a foundation for a lot of the other businesses that I then went on to to have in the property sector, which I'm still a shareholder in, you know, the wealth management sector with Mark Boris and Yellowbrick Road, and obviously investing in the entourage with Jack Delosa. So I've been very, very lucky. I know our for a lot of people, you know, and a lot of the spiritual work I've done, it says, you know, your job and career shouldn't define you. But I've really done a lot of work on turning my job, business and career into my lifestyle. And I've been very, very lucky to meet some amazing people like yourselves and uh, and be able to turn that job, business, career in, and the people I meet into my family. Um, so that, that's where it all began. And, you know, in my mind, I still think I'm on page two or three on chapter one because I think you know people go you've done so much at 34 years old and I said wait till you, wait till you see the things that I'm going to do there's a lot going on all very exciting and, and obviously my one of my core passions and values is the my philanthropic work which you mentioned with Project Gen Z in Cambodia and also uh, the work we're doing with the Indigenous communities within Australia with Seed Foundation. Beautiful why don't you share with us a little bit more about those projects? Yeah so Project Gen Z I'm one of the founding members uh, it was a vision from a couple of friends of mine, Liz and Jesse Volpe, and they, they rang me at about, I think, I reckon it was about 11.45 at night. I saw them ringing. I saw Jesse ringing, and I'm thinking, first thing was like, what's happened? And then uh, he puts me on loudspeaker and goes, Liz wants to ask you something. She's got this idea. We're going to go and take 20 entrepreneurs from all around the world and go and uh, work in the orphanages. They don't call them orphanages anymore, but, you know, they're effectively they were when we started working there sort of six years ago. 
and we're going to go teach them business and entrepreneurialism. And instead of giving them, when the, we've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, US dollars, to support the, the buildings and the communities there. So, you know, we call it Sunrise Village Community Support now. So we, we have an outreach program where we help try and create prevention rather than a cure. So instead of the kids actually leaving their families, we try and keep them in their families. Right. So if the family's fringe, we've done a lot of outreach work to try and say, how do we keep, you know, the child with mum or dad or an auntie or a grandparent mm-hmm. and then give them support via education? Some kids aren't lucky enough to to have gone through that. So some are rescued from child prostitution, mm-hmm. begging circles. There's no real, uh, you know, there's no disability scheme in the IS over in Cambodia. So if you're born with a disability mm-hmm. or, um, you know, mental disability or physical disability, you're basically, you know, often abandoned by your family. So Geraldine Cox, who's Order of Australian Medal winner, and a great Australian who's been there for 27 years. She's my one of my spiritual and matriarchal and female mentors. Mm-hmm. I love to surround myself with strong matriarchal and female energy. And um, she's been a, a very close friend for the last six years that I speak to probably every couple of weeks and try and get over to Cambodia to help her and run these programs, you know, once a year at a minimum, but I try and get over once or twice a year as well. Mm, yeah, nice. Beautiful. That was the Gen, Gen Z. Z. And we've got, got another one, Seed Foundation, Foundation. yeah, which I, I, I did decide to do something crazy and complete the Kokoda Trail a couple of years ago, <laughs> uh, 142 kilometres through the Papua New Guinea jungle. I actually got called out at a youth summit that I do in Port Macquarie every year called the Luminosity Youth Summit. Mm-hmm. Right. And they get about 800 to 1,000 kids from across the mid-north coast of New South Wales. But now it's started to get kids from all over Australia. So it's also been running for about seven or eight years now. Mm-hmm. And I've been the face of that for the last, since it began, since its inception. And what actually happened was they had Kurt Fernley, you know, the mm-hmm. great Australian Paralympian. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he came out in his wheelchair and he spoke you know, he's won so many gold medals and, and so many medals just in general, gold, silver and bronze medals for Australia. Like, I reckon he probably doesn't even remember how many medals he's got. He's literally got, he's literally, I, think, I think he's got somewhere around like 50, 60 medals in different right? sports. So, yeah, yeah it's pretty, pretty amazing guy. And he called me out, like, you know, he was talking about how he had crawled across the, the Kokoda Trail with no legs. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I walked out as the moderator and the... Uh, the facilitator after he finished facilitated sort of question time and and you know I, I sort of wrapped it up because I had a few tears in my eyes watching the videos on the big screen of him doing it with his brothers and I walked out and I said you know Kurt my god you know that's so inspirational I could never do anything like that and he turned around and called me out and said <laughs> I've got no legs and I did it you got no excuse and so one of a thousand people on stage and uh, and it being live recorded I I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And, you know, it was about a two-year journey to to get to some sort of, I'm certainly not as fit as you, Mark, but, uh, you know, I, um, but I, I got to some sort of element of fitness to get myself ready to go. But um, the biggest thing is definitely is physical fitness is important, but the mental mental fitness was, was probably the biggest challenge. Mm. And uh, completed that. Uh, we booked to do it in nine days, ended up doing it in seven days, wow. or seven nights and sort of, seven and a half days um, and it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was probably one of the worst and greatest experiences <laughs> of my life all the time. Wow. Um, often when I'm having a difficult day or going through a challenging period, I often, you know, having that physical juxtapositioning available to your mindset mm-hmm. where you can go, okay, well, it's not that bad. Today can't be that bad because I, I did the Kokoda try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it sort of gives you a really good foundation and framework in your subconscious to be able to take on sort of daily life. Yeah, wow. 
So tell us a, a yeah. couple of mental challenges that you had on that Kokoda track. Um, well, day four is, and for those that are listening and, and not look, not seeing the Zoom, I'll, I'll describe it for you. Day four is a thing called the wall. And there's a reason why they call it the wall. And just for those who don't know the history of Kokoda, it was where Australia uh, defended Australia's sovereignty against um, Japan in World War II. Um, for those who don't know, but Australia was, they attempted to invade Australia up north through the Northern Territory. And also Bondi Beach, where I, I used to own a property on the waterfront there, um, it actually was hit by, a lot of people don't know, was hit by a Japanese torpedo as well. And there was torpedoes found in uh, in Sydney Harbour. So the Japanese were pretty hell-bent on invading Australia and they had a pretty succinct plan to do it. They At that point um, in World War II, they, they pretty much absorbed China, Indonesia, Malaysia, a lot of the island nations in the Pacific, and they basically were in a prime position to take Australia, and, and Australia would look very different than what it is today. Mm-hmm. And then they were pushed back to Papua New Guinea, and they basically had conquered about 70% of Papua New Guinea and got into this final stretch of treacherous land that mm-hmm. is called the Kokoda Trail, and uh, Australia fought Japan. And, like, you, you know, when you go there, you realise that these Japanese soldiers didn't want to be there. They were obviously getting cold. They had, you know, they were on a marching order. Um, it was the worst, you know, and even for us, you know, doing it as a, a, a tourist effectively, you know, it's not, not a leisurely touristy trip, but doing it as a tourist, you're, you're up to your knees in mud on the rainy days. And then you get to this day four, which is called the wall. And it's about a two kilometre vertical climb upwards. And it's literally on an angle of, we're talking, I don't know how you describe that, but like, what's that? 80, what's that? 90 degrees, not 90 degrees, maybe it might be like 80 degrees or 70, yeah. 75 degrees. And you just, it's funny, the grandchildren of the Fuzzy Wuzzies, who are the Indigenous people that helped the Australian soldiers fight against the Japanese and fight against the occupation of the Japanese as well, um, their grandchildren are now the people who take you on the trek. Right. So it's very, very beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's amazing. Their body has actually evolved through generations of being mountain people uh-huh. and they can actually do it like to the point where their feet actually spread over rocks like their toes actually are effectively become like cords like i was freaking out like when you're looking at them in front of you and you can see their feet people talk about it but then when you actually see it in real life and you see them going up this vertical wall just on their feet and we're all on our hands and feet just crawling up this wall um but you when you get to the top it's one of the highest points on the track uh, the trail. Uh, it's not. It's not. It's not a. You don't suffer from any altitude. So when I did Mount Kinabalu in Borneo, that's four thousand nine hundred and sixty meters above sea level. So you do feel a bit of altitude. But Kokoda is not actually that high. It's just the fact that you're up, down, up, down, up, down. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny. I'll end the treacherous story on a positive, so at least people <laughs> might consider going to do it. First of all, I'll end that story on two things. I'll give you the warm and fuzzy, which is the fact that you get to connect with your Australian sovereignty and history and being a part of this great country, which is Australia, the land of milk and honey, and and be grateful for the fact that some these young men went and sacrificed their lives to defend our country for us. Mm-hmm. So there's that side of it and, and the part, and, you know, learning about history and seeing both sides, you know, what the Japanese went through and the Australians went through and, and just knowing that war is terrible and nobody ever wins out of it. Mm-hmm. So that's that part. But then the fun part I'll tell you is that... Um, <laughs> And we've got a running joke with the guys that I did it with. And we did it with a girl as well. So the guys and the girl that I did it with. And I, uh, the running joke is that all day you're constantly wondering when you're going to stop. 
So like, you know, you go to them, oh, how much longer before, before, before we have a break and eat or how much longer before we reach a water in the hole so we get some more water and just mm-hmm. stop or how much longer before we get the campsite? And on the first day, they kept on saying to me, 20 minutes. Right. So like the fuzzy wuzzies, they don't speak a lot of English, but they keep on going 20 minutes, 20 minutes. Anyway, then all of a sudden, the 20 minutes, I didn't even bother wearing a watch because I thought I don't even want to know what time it yeah. is or how long we've been. <laughs> There's days where you're walking for 17, 18 hours straight. Wow. And I was like, 20 minutes. Anyway, by day two, end of day two, like the second half of the day, I'm starting to realise doesn't matter how long like like sometimes they go 20 minutes and then we'd stop two minutes later sometimes they say 20 minutes and they stop an hour and a half right. later and then i realized these guys don't have a watch <laughs> they don't carry a watch they don't have a phone they don't have anything so their version of 20 minutes in their head is whatever they want it to be so um, yeah so i uh, it was it was a good little joke now that you know whenever i catch up with any of the guys we do we try and do a catch up as yeah. often as possible and they'll go to me, I'll text and be like, how far away are we going to order food or order a drink? And they'll say, um, oh, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I, go, I go, nah, it's, 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 you're not 20 minutes. Uh, I, know, I know what that means. So, yeah. uh, that's funny. It does reframe your perception of time, doesn't it, when you're in that situation? Yeah. And, and that yeah, can be indeed. applied to so many things in life, reframing what you think a meaning has been for your whole life and you can in just – a little bit of training, retraining of your mind and your brain, change it to something totally different. It does. And, and as well, it was interesting because that, that physical challenge of going up this wall that yeah. took a lot of mental stamina in order to get, get through it and to complete just even that day four, but let alone the whole 142 kilometres, is then it's basically, as I said, set that framework and giving you something to compare life to. So like when you, you know, when, when like, it's like when COVID happened, mm-hmm. you know, I was a little bit like, I, I drew a lot of strength from doing the Kokoda Trail and summoning Mount Kinabalu. Like physic, the, the physical strength was important, but the mental strength and when COVID happened, they're like, okay, this is going to be restricted. Okay. And on somebody, as you guys know, who's on 100, 120 flights a year, in the last 30 days, I was actually, we, I worked it out the other day, I completely had forgotten and then somebody mentioned something about, you know, international travel. And I went, wait a minute. I was actually supposed to be in five countries mm-hmm. in the last 30 days, five countries. Wow. I, I, I totally forgot that I was supposed even because the world so much has happened yeah. in the last two months. I totally forgotten that this 30 day period, I was supposed to be in Hong Kong, uh, Thailand, um, New Caledonia, New Zealand, and yeah, New Caledonia were, were having what we call that elevate a membership for Entourage Retreat. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be seven days in New Caledonia. I was speaking at events in the other countries and then we were running a uh, Entourage Digital Marketing and Sales Summit in Auckland So and then Australia. So I was supposed to be in five countries. So the world has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I actually, ironically, for those who don't know or don't know me, um, but if those who do know me and have followed me on social media, they'll see that I've been spending the time at my mum and dad's house, okay. which was another challenge all in itself. Um, I've spent the last sort of six weeks um, helping with my mum. She's got early onset Alzheimer's and my dad's had a stroke a couple of years ago um, because the respite workers weren't able to come to the house. Right. So that's been a whole other challenge in itself, mental challenge, definitely emotional challenge, definitely spiritual challenge and, and physical challenge, just being... You know, being an overly social social person like I am, yes. as you guys know, and then um, being confined to the house, mm-hmm. it wasn't overly conducive to the Morello way of life. But <laughs> I found ways to stay connected with people, and I found ways to 
obviously make sure that I, um, you know, I could still live my best life and, and go out there and do my best and inspire and motivate as many people as possible to live their best life. That's right. And you tap into ways to nourish yourself. Correct, which they have been challenged. You know, like if, if we want to talk about a little bit, a little bit about that is, is around, you know, I talk about the four styles of nourishment, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And, you know, it was funny because I was getting a lot of emotional nourishment, spending time with my mother and father, but also it was eating at my emotional energy, obviously experiencing my mum with early onset Alzheimer's and not knowing who I am at times, experiencing my father, seeing him exhausted and seeing the effect that it's actually taking on my father, watching his wife of 47 years going through this absolutely terrible disease, which is dementia and Alzheimer's, um, and watching him, you know, genuinely not overly coping. I've, you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking any secrets here. Those who know me personally, and I, I've had this conversation with my father, he's really struggling with it. And, you know, when you're an immigrant to Australia who came on a boat in 1956, from Italy and, uh, you know, you grew up in a very conservative Italian family like he did, he was never equipped with that emotional intelligence. You know, he's a great man and my mother was a great woman and, you know, she just tolerated that, you know, old European mentality. And and even though my dad isn't that bad, like my dad's fairly liberal when it comes to old European mentalities. Like, you know, he was very supportive of all us three kids, you know, doing pretty crazy stuff. My sister lived in London for 12 years. My you know, my brother's, you know, started his first business at, at 20, you know, and, and he's been in business for the last 25 years in, in the property game. He was always very encouraging of our crazy ideas, but he was never given those tools personally. Um, you know, his parents obviously weren't socially conscious. They were probably traumatised from World War Two, Italy, World War Two, where once again, for those who don't know the history, like Italy was very confused. They were fighting for the Nazis and halfway through they swapped sides and mm. they started fighting for the coalition. So okay. they were a very displaced, confused group of people. Um, you know, where my, my family's from is was the villages. They're still villages now. Like, you know, they haven't really done anything, man. Like they're from Vizzini, Provincia Catania in Sicily, and my mum's from Fenizzano, Provincia Reggio Calabria. You know, when my parents left, it was the very uneducated part of the world. Like mm-hmm. They lived the farm life. Mm-hmm. They didn't really go to school. And, yeah. you know, my parents came out here and they uh, did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. But now seeing my dad go through that emotional trauma of seeing him lose his queen and his, his matriarch mm-hmm. has been, um, been quite difficult. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, yeah indeed. It's um, those sorts of transitions in our life really give us the opportunity to reach deep and really tap into our spiritual and emotional tool bag, I guess, so that we can get through these things. You know, it's it's a very difficult time. Sorry yeah. to hear that, mate. It's all right. So I've I've done a lot of work. You know, we talked about the four ways that I I talk about nourishment, and I've I've done a lot of work spiritually on it. Um, I grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic, Italian, mm. but I probably wouldn't you know identify with a particular religion now. I'd probably say I'm more spiritual. Do I still go to church? I do every now and then, I, I, but I do it more for, from a personal nourishment point of view. And I think the core values of Christianity are, are great values to instill in your children. I would, I would send my children, you know, when I have kids one day to uh, a Catholic school, I think, you know, it's a great foundational board for creating some good core values. and But for me, spiritually, I've done a lot of work. I've gone and spent time in Buddhist monasteries in Chiang Mai and Buddhist monasteries in, in, in Cambodia. I've gone and spent time with great spiritual leaders. I've seen the Dalai Lama. I've actually met the Dalai Lama not 
you know, didn't get to have a chin wag with him, but I've met him before. I've um, I've got to spend time with Deepak Chopra mm-hmm. you know, on on a more intimate level and and um, attend some of his you know larger workshops and and get some sort of uh, smaller group workshop opportunities. Um, and then and then there's the journey of my own spiritual awakening where I've gone down the path of, you know, meeting some, you know, people that are doing some shamanic work out of, you know, the Amazon and also mm-hmm. South America now. And also just my own personal journey. You know, I, I said, I'm not academically educated, but I'm certainly, certainly someone who enjoys education. So what that means for me is that if I find that I need something or something intrigues me, I will go and research it. And just the other day, I watched a, a movie called Just Mercy, uh, which was about a, a wrongly accused murderer on death row in Alabama in America, only in the 90s. Like, we're not talking 1950s. We're talking only a couple of decades ago. Mm-hmm. And um, it was on death row, and it was wrongly convicted. Mm-hmm. And I, I started watching the movie, and I, I, I ended up pausing the movie like 15 times because I was researching the lawyer who went to Harvard University uh-huh. who could have gone a, gone and got a $100,000, $200,000 a year job in New York, who was from New York, mm-hmm. who decided to go to Alabama and for free mm-hmm. work and defend these, these men on death row, which were a lot of the cases were, you know, impossible cases. And, you know, I kept on pausing it mm-hmm. and I researched the guy. Mm-hmm. Then I researched the uh, non-for-profit that he set up. And then I researched, you know, what was what was his motivation behind it. Then I watched, while the movie's still going, I paused and I yeah, watched yeah. the 16 minute, 60 minutes episode that was done <laughs> because I find that that's the best way for me to react, which is yeah. allowing myself and my mind to be able to go and find you know, educate myself around certain things that have that I've experienced, whether I've experienced them physically, uh, whether I've experienced them through audio or whether I've experienced them through a conversation with somebody. So if I meet somebody from a country that I don't know things about, I'm, you know, I'm that annoying person. It's like, oh, tell me, you know, what's what's the capital of that country? What's, you know, what's the main thing? And I, I still remember to this day, I, um, the most, one of the most interesting facts I ever got was, you know, I was in Sydney when I just moved to Sydney 10 years ago. I was at the Ivy, which is a, a nightclub with a swimming pool in it. And, you know, I went up to the bar and I was talking to a girl and she goes to me, I'm from Estonia. And I said, where's Estonia? And she, she told me these facts. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, I said, tell me about your country. And she said, oh, it's 70% surrounded by water. The capital is um, Tulum. And she goes, and we invented Skype. So it's been like my little trivia question for people always. I always say to them, I go, hey, uh, do you know where Skype was invented? And they're like, no. And they're like, America? And I'm like, no, it was actually invented in Estonia. So I always pride myself on knowing a lot about a little and a little about a lot. The thing that I love about all of that, Andrew, is is resourcefulness. For someone to get the life experiences that you've had so far at your very young age of, what is it, 34? 34. 34. I just turned 34 last month, yeah. Well, birthday. Getting old now, guys. (laughs) No, no, two months ago. (laughs) Two months ago. You you know why? You know why I I went last month? Yeah. Because what's happened since my birthday? So I actually had, I'm not going to lie, one of the greatest birthdays of my life. (laughs) So what happened was... On March 15, which is my birthday, which was the Sunday, yeah. I was supposed to be in Geelong watching my niece do the uh, regatta for rowing. She's one of the best rowers for her age in Australia. She's 14. She's the captain for her school. Nice. Um, and so I was going to spend the whole weekend for my birthday. I made her promise. I said, <laughs> if I'm going to come down from Sydney, I said, what I want you to do is I want you to win the regatta for me. That could be my birthday gift, right? <laughs> um, make uncle proud. No pressure, obviously, no pressure. I said, to her, no, no pressure to be a, a top performing Morello, I told her. I said, no pressure at all. And she goes, so she'd been training her heart out. Like, I mean, 
I don't know what the machines call, but they, you know when they train, they're on the machines and broken all the records on the machine. And right. she'd won a whole bunch of uh, races already. Her, her team had done, and she was captain. And you know she was supposed to. So anyway, it was all planned. But I was going to go to the Grand Prix on the Thursday and the Friday, and I was going to go to the Regatta on the Saturday and Sunday. Nice. So I ended up helicoptering in from the crank. I went for lunch at Nobu for my birthday, a couple of days before my birthday. So I was celebrating my birthday on the Thursday because I knew the weekend on my actual birthday I was going to be in Geelong watching my next winter regatta. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I ended up having this beautiful lunch at Nobu. Uh-huh. I ended up g- getting helicoptered from Crown Resorts, Crown Casino in Melbourne, into the Grand Prix track. Wow. I ended up partying on the pit lane, you know, seeing the drivers, meeting the drivers and all that, like up there, you know, champagne, the live music, the, <laughs> the performers. Then we ended up going to Coco's, my favourite restaurant, after it. Then we went to my cousin's bar, um, Miss Collins, called Tromba. It's like a Spanish ladder night. And then at three in the morning, they announced the world was going to (laughs) close. So I was like, I just got in, guys. I got in for this greatest birthday ever. You did, March 15th. I did. I did. Three in the morning, we left my cousin's bar and we're going going home Mm -hmm. and we stopped to get some food and we're watching the TV screens and the TV screens said... Lewis Hamilton and Daniel Ricciardo had pulled out of the Grand Prix. And I went, wait a minute, as if they're going to, like, and then I'm thinking the two of the best, like everyone's come from all around the world to see these two people race. Mm -hmm. And then they pulled out, then Ferrari pulls out completely. And then they announced the Grand Prix Council. And I'm like, wow, that's when I knew this COVID thing was real. Like prior to that, I was like, they're going to sort it out. You know, it is what it is. And then all of a sudden, when they cancelled a 250,000 people event, I was like, shit, this is happening. Mm-hmm. This is really happening. Mm-hmm. So um, I had a great birthday, but this year was COVID, and last year was the New Zealand massacre on my birthday. Oh, so what? I was like, I don't know I don't know what next year's going to bring, because there's an Italian um, saying that says everything happens in three, yes. and I'm like, I don't want anything to happen next year. So everyone stay really safe on March 15th. And stay away from Andrew. Because <laughs> everyone stay inside. Stay home. Flat the curb. Uh, so your niece never oh, yeah. got to race then? She didn't, no. Michelle, and she was heartbroken. Oh. And I felt like I, I tried calling her like 10 times yeah. on the Friday night when they cancelled the regatta. Yeah. Um, and they, they waited right to the last minute too. Like so many families would have spent a fortune on on Airbnbs down in Geelong. And my, my brother had gone and got a big house. We had family coming from Adelaide. Mm-hmm. You know, my cousin, my brother's in-laws over there. So there's my two nieces. And then there's another three girls and all five of them all look like each other. So they're all first cousins. And last year we, um, I don't know if you saw Michelle and Mark on my social media, but we had a, a, a bit of a tragedy in our family. My brother's niece um, in Adelaide um, was killed by a, 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 a car that spun out of control um, on the street. So she was walking home. She was 15. She was a, a, an award-winning Nepal star. She was an award-winning student. She was a, an award-winning volleyball player. So she travelled um, nationally and internationally. So any time now that we have anything to do with the nieces, um, we do it all together as a family. So, all, you know, the other two girls, the other two sisters and, and their parents had come from Adelaide. Right. And, you know, so it was like this massive contingency and it all got cancelled, and my niece didn't even answer my call on the Friday. No, she didn't no. call me back on the Saturday, but she was absolutely heartbroken yeah. on the uh, on the Friday. Yeah. But you know, she's fourteen, and this is very. Both my, my both my nieces that are fourteen and, and twelve 
um, are very emotionally intelligent for their age, mm-hmm. but they're still 14, you know? Mm-hmm. So I try and sometimes, sometimes I forget. I forget because I, I have such mature conversations with them. Mm-hmm. And then when they do something that's a little bit, you know, like she was so angry at the world because of it. And I was like, uh, Isabella, you got to understand. It's like, you know, I don't think anyone wanted to cancel it, but she was like, obviously very upset and wanted to just, you know, zone off from the world. And, you know, that's that's my maturing as a, a godfather to six girls and an uncle to two girls and, and a godfather to a, to a young boy as well and, and a future father, I, I would hope. So, you know, that's my maturing that I needed to forget that she was so mature before her age. I mm. remember that she still is a 14-year-old girl and yeah. it would have been heartbreaking for her considering the time, energy and effort she dedicated to of it. Course, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, you just highlighted the value of mentorship. Your nieces are getting that from you and from others probably, but that value of mentorship, would you like to speak to that? How important do you feel yeah. mentorship is? Yeah, look, oh, and, and it's, it's probably a great point, Michelle, in a sense that when we talk about, you know, the three pillars that you guys have, so the experiences, contribution and growth, the mentors have really been a part of all three of those. One of the biggest pieces of advice I gave people, you know, when this COVID stuff happened, I did this recession response program and you know giving people spot tips to sort of keep their business afloat but it was also for their personal self as well as i said you guys you need to lean into your mentors right now as in mentors as in from a personal level as in the people around you but also lean into business coaches accountants life coaches whatever that you have because the first reaction a lot of people had was you know cut off everything oh my god it's the end of the world do I think we've got a big journey ahead of us? 100%. But do I think we're better than 99% of the countries out there? 100%. So everyone went into panic mode and they started trying to counsel their memberships, their business coach or their advisor or their life coach or their mentor. And I, I was sitting there going, guys, stop. You know, if there's mentors that you don't pay that you just have a, a value exchange with, then great. Make sure you keep them going. And I said, you know, if you if your business was growing more than ever, you need to lean into those uh, those mentors and those coaches. And I've been very very blessed to have had a, a, a nice cross section of, of mentors and coaches. Some I paid, some were friends, some were people I was in business with. So obviously in the business sector, and I think I've talked through with you, Michelle. I had sort of John McGrath, you know, growing up in, in property. He was, and he's still a very good friend. We've been texting and and having a chat about doing a few things together. Um, you know, Mark Burris, obviously, from a business point of view, Jerry Harvey from a business point of view. But then from a, a personal point of view, like I've been talking to Geraldine, who, you know, who's over in Cambodia right now, trying to provide for a 1,000 children in the middle of the, basically the dirt road villages in Cambodia in a place called Kandal, a lot of the support's gone. So for me to be able to lean on her and listen to how she's coping through things and staying positive still and, we ended up getting a, a spot for her on Current Affair, which Australia dug deep and we ended up raising $350,000 to help keep her afloat literally overnight. We just did another event on the weekend called Sunsets for Sunrise, which was a, uh, a live telecast with some music producers that I know from our place in Vaucluse overlooking Sydney Harbour, and we raised some more money to send to, uh, to there as well. So right now, just having the ability to be able to have conversations ask questions, but also, 
you know, provide, be a mentor. Right now, what I've found is a lot of the people that have mentored me over the years, I've also been a mentor back to them now. Right. So I think, you know, everyone's got something to contribute. Even your 14-year-old niece has something to contribute right now. So finding those life lessons in sometimes the most obscure places mm-hmm. can be a really beautiful part of your consciousness awakening mm-hmm. and mental awakening as well and spiritual awakening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what you've just talked about there is a concept in our dream work around what we're doing with the dream architects is to help empty nesters who may be lost, who maybe need a bit of guidance towards their dreams, to awaken to living their life with more fulfillment, with more experience, contribution and growth. But what we see in the future is that these empty nesters will go ahead and take up mentorship. So some of them may, may, some of them may not, but take, go and mentor a young person. Go and mentor someone down the street. Go and mentor maybe a niece or a nephew. Some empty nesters can feel a little disillusioned because they've lost that role, that parental role, and yet they've got so much wisdom, so much experience, so many life tools that they can impart onto another child. And another part of our dream is that the young people who then get mentored can then mentor back to the older community, to the 40, 50, 60 and beyond people who may need it for some reason because we can learn so much from one another. It's not just a one-way street. Yeah. You, you know what the beautiful thing has been, you know, when you talk about empty nesters, you know, you're talking anywhere from, you know, sort of 40 to sort of 55 is, is that age bracket. And you, you've seen this beautiful uptake of technology from that demographic. So I'm seeing it firsthand from a, a business point of view with the entourage and a lot of our members that were in that in that age bracket and were empty nesters or let's say going into, into that period of their life. Um, and, you know, they, they decided, like they've been forced to take up Zoom. They've been forced to have a Zoom account now. They've been forced to do FaceTime and it's, they've been forced to get on social media. And, um, you know, that's where I think the younger generation does have something to contribute to. Like, you know, I've heard some beautiful stories of, you know, young kids setting up social media accounts and, and Zoom accounts for their grandparents mm-hmm. or their parents now. Um, my dad, for those of you who want to add my dad, he's John Morello Senior um, on Instagram and my mum's Pauline Morello. And like, they've got an Instagram account now and, and sometimes it's three o'clock in the morning and I'll be finished at a, a charity event at one in the morning and gone for a drink with, with the guys from, um, from the charity or whatever it might be because we've raised two or three hundred thousand dollars and we're having a bit of a night out and i start seeing these notifications come through at two o'clock in the morning three in the morning my dad's sitting there going through my instagram (laughs) and my facebook liking everything and i feel like ringing him going why aren't you asleep like what are you doing so um it's 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 very cute it's very cute and uh you know we we set up this thing called house party for our family as well now and, and my nieces were you know flying the flag on that one so you know i think and, and i think it is hubris and, and arrogant of people to think they can't get something from from young people sometimes your true contribution isn't necessarily going to be in your direct family but it could be sometimes you need to be the uncle who mentors the niece mm. and then maybe if you've got children your brother or sister who's the uncle or auntie needs to mentor them and mm-hmm. i think sometimes it needs to come from a third party to hold gravitas Mm -hmm. and I think it needs to you know my only advice on that is it needs to be genuine and authentic as well so I think I think you're on the day you're on your deathbed you're still growing and and, and learning stuff Mm -hmm. but you have an opportunity here you have an opportunity as a parent or you have an opportunity as a person of influence which is to 
to actually um, hold space for that person, hold space for that your, your child or hold space for that friend that's struggling or and let's just talk about what you're after and what your life goals are. And I think once you hear that from people, then you can start to go, okay, well, then maybe give you a chance to step outside, find your own sort of rhythm, mm-hmm. your own guide, find your true true voice and your mm-hmm. true independence. So mm-hmm. it's something I'm pretty passionate about and what I try and, you know, help, help people with whenever I get the opportunity. Yeah, yeah true. Really stepping into your own truth is absolutely key, isn't it, mate? Mm. Otherwise, you just, you're just living a lie in many ways. So, yeah, yeah no, that's great advice. And really holding space when you're trying to guide or be a mentor for somebody, just holding space for them, giving them the presence, not giving them yep. the solutions all of the time and allow them to step into that truth is a very, very powerful thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely, yeah. definitely. Well, you know, we're coming to the end of our conversation, unfortunately, Andrew, but we'd love to... Find out what's I next feel like for Michelle, you. We, yes. I feel like, Michelle, we could have just gone all day. Oh, we can. 100%. You know, there's so many <laughs> angles, so many pearls of wisdom you have that we can just jump into the pond of life and ripple outwards. It's so beautiful. But we'd like to ask you, what's next for you? What's the next experience that you're looking forward to having? I'll put it in, in probably a few forums in a sense that um, – as you said earlier, like I've had a, a, an illustrious business career. If anyone's watching this and they want to get to know a little bit more about myself and the entourage, which is the business that I've been a shareholder and investor in and contributed to uh, with our founder and CEO, Jack Delosa, for the last 10 years, feel free to, to look me up on social media, Andrew Marcello Morello on Facebook and at Andrew Morello on Instagram and reach out and you can, you can see some of the stuff that we do. We do quite a lot of we're trying to just give right now. So like if we said what's next for Morello, short, medium and long term, in the short term right now it is just give as much as possible. You know, I'm doing a lot of work with existing members of the entourage. I'm doing a lot of work with past members of the entourage, so we call them alumni, and I'm doing a lot of work with prospective members of the entourage. But we're just trying to give them so much nourishment, not just business-wise, but also emotionally and mentally. And we said before, I don't, I don't know if we were recording yet, but we had Bashan on today, who's the uh, CEO and founder of Mind Valley, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's probably one of the greatest minds in, in growth and personal growth in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he came and spoke to all of our members, you know, it was just great. And obviously now with digital, um, you know, it was very easy to do. He's also speaking at our June 16 event, uh, which is called Reboot. Mm-hmm for 2020, 2021. Um, So right now in the short term, I'm just giving. Every opportunity I get a chance to give, I give. You know, if somebody wants to have a Zoom with me, have a Zoom. If someone doesn't want to have a Zoom with me, I'm recommending we have a Zoom. So I had a a, a past client who's just working out what he's doing with his properties and he was in a bit of panic mode. I felt his angst in his SMS Mm. and then I heard his angst in his voice when he called. And I said, listen, let's book in a Zoom. So he emailed me, Lego booked in a Zoom for us. And, you know, we're sitting on Zoom for 45 minutes and and we solved the problem. Like he goes, I said, how are you feeling now? He goes, I can breathe again. I said, fantastic. So, you know, that was just a bit of property advice to to get him in the right place to to make better decisions. I said, the last thing you want to be doing is making an emotional decision right now. So that's the short term, obviously just trying to give as much as possible using the forum of, of the entourage to be able to do that. And then in the medium to long term, my real goal in the medium to long term and my business partner, Jack Delosa, probably will watch this. So I think he knows this. I've I've been pretty clear with him and and our general manager that, you know, at some point I want to be 
you know, doing quite a lot of philanthropic work. So I'm obviously doing the work in Cambodia and with the Indigenous communities now, but I'd like to ramp that up, you know, hopefully by the, by the time COVID's sort of run its course over the next, you know, 12, 12 to 24 months, you know, probably for us to get a full clean bill of health globally um, and, and start, you know, proper um, travel and, and experiencing you know, those things again. I would love to be able to be in a position and, you know, I don't think I'm there just quite yet, but in a financial position to be able to dedicate a lot of lot more of my time to my philanthropic work. That's my, my medium to long-term vision. Mm. And then probably, you know, I'll, I'll finish it on, you know, the fact that I just want to practice, you know, practice present moment awareness, the goal of the outcome and, you know, embrace the uncertainty of life. That's the way I'm living my life. And, as I said to you guys before, I'd love to you know be a part of whatever you guys are doing, and if I can help any of your um, your current members or future members, I'd love to be some sort of a support there and, and provide some enlightenment if uh, if that's the opportunity. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you, Andrew. You've just epitomised the whole three pillars that we love to teach our clients, the ECG, and you've got such a strong, such a strong ECG life pulse, experiences yeah. you want to have, yeah. that massive contribution that you want to make now in the future. And just by being you, you're, you're just a massive contribution. And obviously you are eternally, you're forever, forever curious and looking within yourself and looking on the outside for answers. You've got that gift of loving growth. So the E, the C and the G, that's just beautiful. Absolutely, Thank you guys. No, Would you need a mascot? Yes. I'm happy to be the mascot. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can dress me up in one of those fluffy, fluffy outfits, you know. No need so. to dress you up. We want the raw, authentic Morello. Just just maybe a shirt on and some pants. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, yeah, but it's, it's been wonderful, guys. Thank you so much. And, and for those who don't know your background and are listening to this, I, I was very privileged to be there in the uh, – inception phase of mark and michelle's relationship and it's just <laughs> it's beautiful seeing how i can see that that mark holds your matriarchal and, and and beautiful strong feminine energy as such an attractive quality i can see the way he looked at you just when your relationship started when we did that event michelle and uh and mark you know he takes a, a great man to uh to hold beautiful space for a, a strong woman like michelle so well done well, thank you, mate. Thank you. It's been a great ride, that's for sure. And and I certainly remember the time when I first met you and I'm really, really grateful to One last question, if I may. How would you define an awakening soul? Great question. Really good question to end on. Ironically, I I don't know what got me onto it. It's just the universe, I suppose. But I uh, I got pulled back to Ramdas, who was a, a spiritual, a Western American lecturer uh, at an Ivy League university who went missing, uh, not physically, not, but he went missing intentionally. He went and lost himself to find himself um, on a spiritual walking journey through India. And he came back and, and he, you know, for the last, he, he passed away last year, but, um, you know, for the last sort of since the late 60s, early 70s, so 30, 40 years, 40, 50 years it was, he provided a really good conduit between the spiritual world and the Western world. You know, he came back to America and he, he lectured nationally and globally. And one of the, not, I don't have any regrets in life, but one of the things I really would have loved was to have met him and spent with him and just been in his presence because I feel like I'm on a little bit of the same journey. You know, if you listen to his podcasts from recordings from back in the 70s and then the 80s and then the 90s and watch some of the stuff he, he even did, 
you know, in the in the 2000s and, and even just right up until he passed away. Uh, he was doing lectures, you know, right up until he passed away only last year. And, and you look at his journey, he has this beautiful authenticity about the fact that his journey of awakening was still happening right up until last year. Like he goes, I'm still awakening. And I, I feel like that's the true journey of an awakening soul. Like I, I feel like, you know, you need to be prepared to open up your heart and your mind and your soul and be open to growth, mm-hmm. be open to learning, um, understand that learning doesn't always come from a book or learning doesn't always come from going to a seminar and learning that, and learning that learning doesn't always come from the traditional ways and be open and malleable to, uh, to receiving, you know, that awakening. Um, whatever it might be for you, whether that are, and and understand that everybody is on their own journey of awakening, and that your soul will awaken different parts through different parts of your life. You know, some through tragedy and challenge, some through um, victory and happiness, but they're all just as important. And understanding that they actually tie into a you know a tapestry. I think that's the right word. You know, a tapestry of of learnings and just most of all being open to it and embracing the pressure of it. Sometimes the the idea of awakening your soul and awakening you as a you know, consciousness and you as a human being and you as a contributor in whatever way, shape or form um, can be quite, people can feel pressure. And, you know, I'll end with saying that pressure is a privilege. You know, if you feel pressure, you're in the advantageous position to change the fate of your life and the people around you. So if you're feeling pressure right now, there's a lot of people feeling pressure. That pressure is a positive thing. And that pressure sometimes feel when they are awakening their soul or awakening their consciousness. Um, that pressure is a privilege, guys, because if you're in a developing nation or in the, you know, in the villages of Cambodia and your main focus is trying to feed your family right now and just staying alive, you probably don't have the opportunity to really sit there and find consciousness and find your awakening your soul and listening to a podcast. And, you know, like there's people in the world that right now their biggest concern is where their next meal's coming from and how they're going to feed their family. So put that into perspective for yourself. And I'm not undermining your pressure. I'm not undermining if somebody feels anxiety or depression. I'm certainly not undermining any of that. And, and I'm, I'm holding space for those people but try and put it into perspective and understand that you are the captain of your own fate and the master of your own destiny and you have a real opportunity to awaken yourself and become a better human being. Beautiful. Wow. I just want to sit in that right now. And <laughs> Ramdas reborn. Ram, there we go. Check him out. There we go. Check him out. Just be cautious of the 1970 stuff. <laughs> He, uh, he he went on a bit of a journey through India. But I'm not going to lie, there was there was a little bit of uh, some of his awakening certainly came from some uh, substances. Yes. So, but it was you know that was you know that was part of his journey. You know, so and this is why I sit there and I say to people, don't worry too much if if you're you know obviously you don't want your 15 or 16 year old son going and get drunk on a Friday night with his friends, but rather than scolding him for it, maybe sit down and find out why he's doing it or why he felt he needed to do it. And, mm. and, and if he's going to do it, try and see if you can foster an environment where, you know, I was very lucky. I grew up with, with wine on my kitchen table. So like, you know, when, when I got older, getting drunk wasn't really a thing. You know, my parents were always happy for us to have a little bit of wine with a meal. So we learned to respect alcohol and respect people doing different things and experiencing life. And, you know, being Italian, 
like, you know, it's part of our, our journey, you know, having good food, good mm-hmm. wine, good good company. One thing I actually will leave you on is there's a concept called the, the Sobra Mesa. Mm-hmm. And I feel like COVID-19 right now has really forced us to epitomize the Sobra Mesa. And Sobra Mesa is a Spanish word for the period of time that you share with friends and family after the meal that they've prepared for you and hold gratitude for the people that you're spending it with and that you shared the meal with and the people that made you the food, right? So it's amazing. The Spanish have a word for this. Like in the Western world, we just shovel food in quickly and, and like, you know, we're still working on our laptop and everyone's having dinner in a different part of the house. You know, the kids are doing homework or on, you know, Skype and FaceTime with their friends. You know, you're still working on your business or getting back to clients or returning emails at 7, 38 o'clock at night. Where the Spanish, they stop at 12 o'clock. You know, the Italians do as well. You know, a lot of them still do it at 12 o'clock. And for three hours, they go and sit as a family. They eat a meal and they talk and they drink and they laugh and they go for a thing called a passeggiati and a fumare after, which is a stroll and a smoke. And they walk down the piazza and they buy a, a little gelati. And for some reason... You know, they, they, their diets aren't, you know, Mark, you're not going to be happy with me saying that. Their diets aren't <laughs> Mark with his, with his health coaching. Their diets aren't that good. They smoke, they drink, and they live in their 90s. So I'm not telling people to go out and drink and smoke because the way they do it is they manage their stress and their pressure. And they, they put it into perspective, and they're very good. And we, don't, we haven't mastered that. In the Western world, in, in classic, you know, first world countries like Australia and, and America and the US, and we're all about just going and going and going and going. And I think the beauty of COVID and the beauty of having this conversation with you guys today is that we've stopped and we've shared a conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look forward to the opportunity when we get to share a meal with, with each other mm-hmm. and understand the importance of the Sobra Mesa, understanding the importance of awakening that soul, understanding the importance of of actually taking time to practice that present moment awareness is really, really powerful. Love it. So true, so true. Love it. Right. Yes, we must have another conversation and I'm hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> right, thank, thank you so much, Andrew, for your wisdom, your passion, and most of all, your contribution to so many who, whom without you and your bigger-than-life persona would be living probably mediocre, maybe painful lives. We are certain that you have awakened the hearts and the minds of all of our listeners here today as to what is possible, as to what is possible by embracing a life that's fulfilling, full of experience, full of contribution and full of growth and a strong sense of purpose, gratitude and pressure. So thank you, Andrew. Dear listeners, we don't take this time with you lightly. We work every day to be the living examples of everything we teach. We are always honoured and privileged to have the opportunity to contribute to your life in some way. Yes, this is a great honour and opportunity to deliver information and the fact that you are taking an hour out of your day today to listen to this podcast, we are humbled by that, that you made the effort. And if you feel awakened by any one of our podcasts, please share your experience with us. Reach out and send us an email. You can also join our community on Facebook at Awakening Empty Nesters. Till we return again, may you be inspired to awaken to your dreams by opening your world to deeper experience, unconditional contribution and consistent growth and living with a strong ECG life pulse. So it's goodbye from myself and Michelle And thank you again, Mr. Andrew Morello. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great day.
This is the Awakening Empty Nester podcast. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy what you heard today, share with a friend. And if you have not already done so, please subscribe, rate and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments or feedback for us, you can reach us directly at podcast at thedreamarchitects.com. Looking forward to you joining us on our next show. Thank you for listening.